Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. You're listening to a podcast from the Word. Uh, about so twenty minutes in, Fraser's made this wonderful cake. I think we might uh, live on the podcast. Are we? Are we on air now? We're yeah, yeah. Looks we might really just, good, by the way. It's real that, raspberries. I was going to say that. Oh, that is impressive. He Thank you very much. carved the. He squashed the raspberries up in a bowl. Not, nine, ninety minutes ago. 90, very not, not it's his first ago. attempt at a Victoria Sponge it as is, well. Yeah. Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. So. Usually only makes things look neat. Good. Do you think we should get the John Peel impersonations out of the way now? Have you both got prepared sentences? I I was always told by Andy Kershaw and various old pals that I could impersonate Peel quite effectively. And then Fraser just mentioned, you know, it, Robin Ince is just, he, he would absolutely wipe the floor with you. So I thought if I, if I started a, in a manner of speaking, in a sense, uh, talking about some group of possibly Polish extraction doing some sort of angry and challenging dance music, I thought, you know, I wonder if you'd have any response to that. Well, I don't think I'm very impressed by that, actually, because uh, last year from uh, Croatia, I think one of my favourite bands was Jar of Flies, which was actually merely a jar of flies. <laughs> I remember Andy Kershaw saying that he wanted to have that at a session because it was world music and technically his. But technically, uh, of course, uh, his domain, a jar of flies. Yeah, and, and, and those groups like uh, Foreheads in a Fish Tank. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what was the other uh, The entire crew of the HMS Ark Royal. <laughs> and that's a bit entirely mistaken. Are we, who's my, one? Are we about right My favourite, though, my favourite line of his, and I, I can't remember why, who was I talking with the other day about the poll tax album, Alvin Lives in Leeds? I don't know if you remember it. was the, the poll anti- tax album. Yeah, it was the anti poll tax. It was cut. <laughs> doing Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, kind of what the wedding present did, and uh, and the Siddeleys. And for some reason, one of the lines of appeals that has always made in my head was him going, I have to admit, I never thought I was ever going to play Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes, but that was the Siddeleys, and I rather liked their version. The Siddeleys <laughs> <laughs> was such a... Ro- all of those bands, like the exuberance. The Siddeleys. Just, yeah. Whatever happened to the exuberance? I don't See, even know if they got to an album. What do you reckon about the... Uh, the who's won? Score draw. It's cool yeah. to See, I think you've got the timbre and Robin's got the structured well, gags. He's got the structured gags, <laughs> he has. I always find the easiest way to start what, what? him is to say the word Friday. Oh, right. Okay. On uh, Friday. Yeah, you're right. always trying out Friday. <laughs> yeah, that's good. He, he, I bumped into him at, at, uh, at uh, Glastonbury once and uh, he was wearing a hideous pair of shorts and a sort of awful old... What were those hats that the... Uh, the beanie hats were there, mm. the, the, the Stone Roses used, used, oh, yeah. used to wear? And he said, he, he said, uh, he said it looked like a, was it a, a, a cross between a, a superannuated policeman and, and an over-badly organised pervert. <laughs> <laughs> I, think he, I think he'd actually worn those clothes in order to actually just... just a bad, badly organised... A ba- badly organised <laughs> pervert. <laughs> but anyway, look, we're listening to the, uh, the, the word podcast. How exciting this is. And the voices you're hearing are... Kate Mossman. Hello there. We've got uh, Fraser Lurie. Hello. And we have, very excitingly, Robin Ince Hello. has come to join us. Do you know, what, can I just say my favourite thing you ever did in the old days, the old Brain Whistle <laughs> Test days? Because <laughs> no, no, no. I have a terrible... My, my mind remembers whether it's comedians or musicians or, or, or writers. Uh, was uh, you being caught out on camera uh, doing an impersonation of Morris's dancing, not expecting the camera to come back to you quite so quickly, and Andy Kershaw sitting there, corpsing terribly as you blushed at the fact that you'd just been caught, just throwing a little move, a kind of big mouth strikes again move. <laughs> Long gone from your 
your brain because I was watching and you were doing it. Was that when the Smiths were on stage? Yeah. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. You see, I, I am embarrassed about that because it was obviously affectionate and slightly ironic at the same time. But uh, I'm starting to talk like Peel. At the same time. But I, I, I remember right, seeing that on a monitor, and the camera saw me, and uh, yeah, I was uh, I was cruelly exposed. <laughs> but it was very I was, uh, brought about by fondness, huge fondness for Morrissey. Well, I think you did the move because we, of course, the viewer only caught the very end of the move. But nevertheless, Can you, you remember could, you what could the sense movement, it was probably thrashing. It, it was just with it, the was, it was almost a kind of moment of, of one arm up and the other perhaps releasing the jacket at that point. As far as I remember, for some reason Morrissey had uh, inadvisedly decided to wear a, a, a suit jacket and a and a tie, which was suddenly moving from the Evans it outsized was, blouse. It was, it, exactly, and it was post flowers as well. Mm. I think it was a little bit later. There was no uh, scattering of gladioli across the uh, studio floor. But how sweet of you to remember it. My friend saw that um, Live Aid documentary and said something about you throwing a bottle of water around as well in the old grey whistle test you do. Do you remember that? Crazy times. We were were wild mavericks. No, Andy Andy and I did did an all-night broadcast at um, at New Year's Eve and we weren't allowed to drink, obviously, because you're not in the BBC, you're not allowed to drink on air or be seen drinking. I mean, I understand. And we had bottles of wine. We changed the labels and written harmless fizzy pop. (laughs) And and we were were in our 20s. You should have been on UV drips. You could have been wheeling drips. Exactly. And we were actually getting uh, very lit up. Purely out of boredom, I think. Robin, it's so nice to have you here. It's very nice to Terrific. be here. Very room. sweet of you to address questions to me about the old grey whistle test when we should be addressing <laughs> questions to you. <laughs> and that would particularly so about narcissistic. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. Particularly about, about Edinburgh because you're, you're on your way, uh, you're starting very soon. Is it on the 7th? Quite soon, isn't it? Yeah, show? I start on the 7th, but I, I'm not insane anymore. I used to do the whole month, and the whole <sighs> month doing Edinburgh is you can, you generally, you can't see the end. It beca- everything in time, physicists should study what happens to performers' brains in. Edinburgh because that month it seems to go on forever and then the moment you actually go over the bridge of Berwick upon Tweed on the way back you go I, I have no memory of what happened but I remember yeah. I remember weeping over a review written <laughs> by a student for a magazine yes. that no one will have o- heard online. of even <laughs> outside their region of Edinburgh Solent Radio I remember we, right. did, we did a piece with um, David Mitchell and he said that he can't bear Edinburgh for the anxiety of the whole day mm. stretched out in front of you with nothing to do and then that one show and then one drink afterwards and then going to bed and just waiting for the the whole thing the next day, just this sort of horrible open space. Well, there is. It's basically if, if you think of the uh, rover in in the prisoner, the, the enormous inflatable things that you see, you know, guard the the uh, the village. Yeah, absolutely. And that is what Edinburgh becomes like. That rovers are the comedians' egos. Comedians' egos expand <laughs> incredible size and then bounce around the whole of Edinburgh, across the sea. Yeah. making right. other comedians weep as they run. And it is just. It's a very. I mean, I now do the free fringe. Most I, I do the five pound fringe. I do one show on that, and then the rest of them I do. Uh, this thing called the Free Fringe, uh, which is just great because when I was doing things like the Assembly Rooms, which is one of the main venues, uh, when I would come off, how well the gig had gone, I'd, I'd have to, I'd put my fingers in my ears and I'd go, la la la, for fear of hearing just one person go, well, that was an absolute waste of £14, and <laughs> jumping up because and down that and would be, on Because you have to go it, on the You would day. be shattered by yeah. that, wouldn't you? Yeah. I can totally understand that. And now, of course, you have the internet, which is basically mobile graffiti. So, so what formerly would be on a toilet door is now available to the world. And, and mobile graffiti also by, 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 by very antagonistic and aggressive people who, who will go from 0 to 60 very, very quickly. And probably even if they like you, it's much funnier to say something horrible. Are there whole bars where um, all the stand-ups go every night and eyeball each other viciously across the room and don't well, want to compare Well, there is the pretense of bonhomie, but it doesn't take much uh, studying of psychology to realise what lies underneath it. But it is, I, I mean, that, that's why with the free fringe, what I love is I, I hold a bucket at the end of the gig. Yeah. I've gone from hiding 
to actually, I'm facing the audience as they come out going, thank you very much, thank you very much, and just getting whatever change they give. Uh, and I really enjoy it. And a lot of my friends were, were saying to me, going, but what will people think? You used to play the proper venues. And I went, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 41 now. When I first did it at 39, I just thought, I don't need to worry now about what will TV people think? Because yeah. I'm 41, I'm not, I'm not right for television now until I'm in my 60s and I'm allowed to appear on country <laughs> time. So <laughs> I've got national years where I can you know, just be at ease with myself. And, and it is a real joy that, that I found last year there was one night where I did a gig for someone at the, one of the main venues. And often they went, should we have a drink? And I went, yeah. And they went, well, let's go to the bar, the, the assembly room's bar, and I went why don't we go, there's brilliant pubs around here, they went let's just have one and I went in there in that one hour, I just went this is why I don't do this anymore, yeah. because everyone, the skin is so thin, the slightest dent, you know, how's your show going, yeah I'm getting good numbers, yeah I got four stars actually <laughs> yeah. the other day where'd you get four stars from, uh, four stars from uh, Romper Magazine, what's Romper Magazine, <laughs> yeah. I don't know I don't know um, just, and I often think that, because one friend of mine did make the mistake, he said you go to Edinburgh and sometimes you start to believe you're famous because there's a lot of comedy fans up there and you might get recognised uh, a little bit more. <laughs> this level of professionalism, which I believe was... Uh, <laughs> Rob, it is. is what just you came for. Sorry, but it's my wife. You're going to answer it? <laughs> no, I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. No, please, it, it's, uh, it, it does... It, and he went, you, you, you think you're famous, and then... Um, and he went, then of course you, you realise what load of rubbish. But that was the year that he made the mistake, which is he went up there, he had a really good year in Edinburgh, and these all these comedians returned to King's Cross on the 1st of September or whatever, and they go, I'm back! And everyone yeah. goes, who are you? <laughs> and, and just the plummet, boom! incredible it's i went there two years ago and uh, pappy's fun club as they were then called mm. pappy's were, were the big thing around pleasant's courtyard and if a member of pappy's was to walk across the courtyard people were just fainting mm. yeah. and you felt you know I've, exactly you know that that, that that was going to evaporate very soon you were there when yeah. you, you see harry hill when you were 12 how i old did were you i, I have a feeling i was much cooler when i was 12 than i am now <laughs> i seem to get to do all these really good things when i was a child but i saw harry hill in this tiny tiny little venue the size of a toilet and um, all I remember about it was that I mean, he looked, I, I guess this was what, 1993 or something like that. But he, so he had the look by then and everything. But he just well, had the big this, collar, waving his hands around. He had the around. collar and everything. But he had this slideshow behind him, and there's nothing on it apart from maybe every 15 or 20, uh, 20 minutes there'd be a, a flash of a man in a white cap, an old guy. And he'd just go, Who is that man and where's he come from? And then go back to what brilliant. he was saying. That's and brilliant. it would keep coming throughout the whole thing. But I've he, seen he some is crap. genius. He. he um, there are certain comedians that... Because there's a point where you stop laughing at comedians because it sounds a horrible thing, but you go, uh, you understand the structure of things. But no, someone totally. like Harry Hill, Milton Jones, Tim Vine, uh, those kind... I mean, Harry Hill used to have a great gag where he would... He would go on and he had very big eyebrows. He was wearing false, like, huge eyebrows. Mm. And he would say nothing about them for about 15 minutes. And they just suddenly go, those eyebrow pills, is it two a day or 20 a day? <laughs> <laughs> that, to me, is... <laughs> And he, it's, it's fantastic to see someone like him because every now and again you, you look and you go, our oh, television is, is bunkum and rubbish. But yeah. the fact that he is now an ITV star. Yeah, I caught the end of, of you on Radio 4 this morning, actually. Uh, I, only got, I only came into it halfway through, so I'm not quite sure what the, the gist of it was. But it was, it, you were being interviewed about the, I think, the tension between comedy on television and comedy and stand-up. Oh, that was uh, at Latitude. I actually did the interview. Oh, was just, it? Just, right, just right. After, that's where I ran off after telling you about the grasshoppers my son had enjoyed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I then had to run off behind another tent. So to, sorry, uh, I'm going to go and talk to Radio to, 4. Yeah. <laughs> so Latitude. <laughs> completely, yeah. So what, it, was the, what was the gist of the item? I think, as far as I remember, it was merely that I... I so he said, what, what for you is the perfect television show? Or what, what would you want on television? I just said, well, people to be put in charge, where so many um, comedians... 
and I'm sure writers as well as a whole, they, they have great ideas and then it goes through the middle of television and everyone wants to get their fingers, they want to strip the ideas apart, whatever they thought was wonderful, they will want to feel that they've been part of the process. And then you get this very watered-down, kind of dull, clunky thing. So I think my main point was that the reason that, for instance, a show, I suppose, like the most famous one being The Office. One, one of the reasons that that worked is that um, Would Steve you play Merchant... a cameo role? I have. Yeah. Should we say a cameo role or a bit part? How a nice you suggest a cameo. <laughs> uh, elevating well, uh, Martin. I played a character called Stuart Foote who goes for uh, the job as David Brent's secretary and uh, then oh, yeah. uh, Ricky sings uh, a Desiree song to me. That's and uh, it was... And of course, and at that time, of course, it was in no way... No one thought it was going to be this, this huge thing. They just got their mates to play some of the smaller parts. But I think, you know, one of the reasons that is a great bit of television is because Steve and Ricky had a huge amount of control. Mm. And, of course, what television people go, I know when that worked, set in an office. No, you've missed (laughs) the point. And so I think that's... When you do see every now and again... I mean, Chris Morris's work, obviously, Chris Morris has, you know, he has total control when he does it. And that's... Control to the extent that I think he used to hand in uh, final edits for sections of the day-to-day... Two hours before it was actually broadcast, mm. because he said he was. That's told, the best thing to do. Tried to work that. And also, he, he multi-layered them. I think yeah. to the point where it was impossible to get in and cut anything controversial out of it. It was just physically yes, yeah, impossible. Yes, yeah, yeah. Too well structured to I, be I spliced. Love I love that. Yeah. But he did that with the uh, the Michael Grade thing, didn't he? I think that's, that's right. how he snuck that in was by the fact they didn't have it until two hours beforehand. Which mm. the viewers will, 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 I'm sure, remember was. We, we like to say that word. I can't. We can. The, we the, can the say C word. Children, block your ears. No, there's a bit which. Michael Gray's a cunt, doesn't it? <laughs> it just comes up as a flash, as sort of just a kind of a subconscious. Yeah, like a blemish um, <laughs> on the retina. And uh, yeah. somebody at the BBC, I think, managed to just just happen to, to, to pause that very moment, and there it was on the screen uh, with <laughs> all sorts of repercussions. But anyway, that television versus uh, live, uh, live, the live theatre of comedy. I just, I just think live is... I, I mean, every bit of stand-up I think I've ever done on television I look back with a sense of shame. And I think that stand-up, like music as a whole, apart from something like Later with Jules Holland, it's very hard to get any sense of what it's like being at a gig mm. or the enjoyment of a band watching it on television. The nearest, I think, was that film, Michael Winterbottom, who I love as a film director, but I have to say I thought Nine Songs was a terrible film. Terrible remember Nine film. Songs? Oh, yeah. It doesn't... It, it's, uh, if you don't remember, it's basically... One uh, film with a placebo soundtrack. Oh, right, <laughs> Terrible. What sums it up is that people, rather than enjoy watching the sex, were waiting for the footage of Black Rebel Motorcycle Club at yeah. Brixton Academy. So on the on the DVD, you'd think they might say have a thing where you could skip all the boring music and just get down to the people having sex. No, they had quite no, the They had who else was in it? Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Uh, where were the other bands? It was, was all very indie, wasn't it? Yeah, everyone you don't want was on the soundtrack. Yeah. But at that time, again, it's, it's a fantastic bit of, uh, of culture of just saying, at that exact point, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club were as, as big as I suppose they're ever going to be. Yeah. Exactly. If you'd made a film two weeks later, it'd have been someone else. Yeah. <laughs> so the show that you're... I'm just looking at a, 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 a website to see how it's described. And it is described, your new show, as intellectually audacious. And it says also, may contain Bell and Sebastian references. So, uh, uh, would that's you a, say that was an accurate from Romper Monthly? I Probably think. Romper. That's a standard radio. One star. One star. A friend of mine, Martin White, had a lovely line. Uh, he went, oh, "I think I'm doing very well in Edinburgh." The Scotsman gave me a star, uh, which is a lovely way of looking at it. And uh, but yeah, the new solo show is. Uh, I'm still writing it now. I mean, I'm, I start doing it in two days' time. I've done a load of previews. I've never got beyond page five of the 22 pages of notes, so I don't know entirely what it's going to be about. But uh, it's partly a 
about uh, I'm doing I'm doing three shows and one of them is about being angry. One of them is called uh, I should remember this. So I was doing a preview of it last night. Righteous uh, uh, righteous anger, pointless eye. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, and it's about <laughs> when anger is good. Is good or reminding Robin and the name of his own show. Yeah, not not, not, not only have I have events. I, yeah. <laughs> not not only have I not written the shows. I also, <laughs> as you can see, can't remember what they're meant to be about, what they're called. So I'm doing one show with a friend of mine, Michael Leg, which is uh, all about the things we're angry about and our heroes of anger. People that we love. Uh, he talks about uh, a painter called Pierre Manzoli, I think it is, who uh, was, he basically didn't like being popular. So he kept doing stuff that was more and more rubbish, expecting to go, now they'll think this is rubbish. And people going, <laughs> going more popular. This, this is more And he was selling it to Gallic. So he'd just do a stick man and he, and he rolled it up and put it in a tube. And he went, this is my new thing. It's, uh, this is my next work. And they went, well, we're going to have all those tunes. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> on my three. I, I won't give away, because Michael will talk about in the show, the, the fantastic way that he really thought, that's it, I now, that no one will want this, and the final product was fantastic. I'm, so I'm, thrilled, I'm, I'm trying to imagine the, what it would be. Yeah, I'm thrilled with the phrase, <laughs> heroes of anger. That angry people anger. have elevated these uh, <laughs> people on a pedestal. Yeah. Well, Harlan Ellison, do you know Harlan Ellison? The, the no. uh, a writer, he wrote, um, he wrote two of the most famous episodes of The Outer Limits, uh, which in fact were used by James Cameron for the term Terminator, as oh, uh, Ben right. Harlan Ellison noticed and suggested perhaps a credit might be nice. <laughs> um, he also wrote one of the most famous Star Trek episodes, which is City on the Edge of Forever, which is where they go back to the 1920s. Joan Collins is yeah, a, yeah. a gangster one, or might, might be the 1930s. And he, he writes books with fantastic titles, like um, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Uh, <laughs> Repent, Harlequin, said the TikTok man. And he, he just... You sound like some of your bad books. Oh, he just... <laughs> and he's filled with this brilliant rage. There's a documentary about him called Dreams with Sharp Teeth. And he's my hero of anger. Well, I've got two heroes of anger. There's him and Schopenhauer, who is... is oh, of Schopenhauer oh, wow. had that terrific uh, standoff uh, with... Uh, gosh, I'm who was it? Hegel, it was Hegel, wasn't Hegel, it? Hegel, yeah, yeah they, they, Hegel and Schopenhauer. Fight, kind fight. Of massive, it was fight, it was fight, fight, fight. It just went on for years, didn't it? Scoring it was, yeah, Hegel was going, how many has Hegel got in? And he's got 500. How many you got in Schopenhauer? I've got five again. He was the real indie label that philosopher. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, and... Yeah, Schopenhauer's fantastic because he just basically goes, life is miserable and then it ends. Uh, <laughs> a bit like, uh, I always get this guy's name wrong and I love him, uh, Slavoj uh, Zizek. Zizek, yeah. It's Zizek. Slovenian, Slovenian, isn't he? Is uh, it? Or is it? Yes. Slovakian. Uh, is he around the same uh, time? Was he a, No, he's, he's, he's now, now and he is fantastic. The lines, he will just basically say, life has no purpose, there yeah. is no reason. Roll on um, and But <laughs> Hal Nelson has it, just this brilliant, I mean, he's written so much, I think he's written too much, that's his problem, mm. that you can't go, these are the classics because he's actually written thousands of short stories piece of journalism and there's a fantastic thing uh, there's a clip on YouTube which is basically pay the fucking writer <laughs> and it's just him going you, you know they, 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 we do everything for free I mean, I mean what is Warner Brothers what, 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 Warner Brothers wants me to do a freebie what, what's Warner Brothers on a street corner with an iPad and a tin cup fuck no right and he's just and all of this great uh, fury and so he's going to be and so that's that show and then the later solo show that I'm doing is meant to be my car show but I will still be quite cross about the appalling pop life exhibition at the Tate Modern um, which has <laughs> made good. me very very cross uh, and it will be about part of it will be about my son and it will be about kind of uh, attempting to be happy in this in what aspect world. your son what, 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 what part of the well, I've got two quotes at the beginning. One is, uh, I wish I had it actually with me, I, a very negative quote from, a well, well, joyous quote but from uh, Slavoj Zizek, and then the quote from my son, which is what he always does when he knows he's just behaved, he's two and a half and he's behaved outrageously, and then he'll go, are you happy? <laughs> go, no, Archie, you've just broken that thing and you, t- you were told not to go running around there. 
Are you happy? It's and <laughs> um, it's bookended between it's uh, you know a figure of great uh, philosoph- philosophy and erudition, and, and your son. Yeah. And how also, are, are you happy? Also, <laughs> he's he's and getting then... onto the deeper things to avoid getting told off, isn't he? No, no, really, Dad. You know, if you look at everything, are you happy right <laughs> now? Such <laughs> a yeah, That is such really a cagey Yes, that's just a distraction <laughs> technique, isn't it? So in, in that, I will be talking about. There's a man called Rick Roderick who is a West Texan uh, or dead now, unfortunately. He was a philosophy lecturer, and he's just fantastic because he he would in his lectures he, he he's one about Heidegger starts by now today we're going to talk about Heidegger and Heidegger was a bit of a Nazi and I don't like starting with that snotty remark <laughs> true and talking about him and someone gave me a collection of philosophy lectures which is the great philosophers with Charlton Heston uh, Charlton Heston narrating the lives of, of Hume and Sartre and Plato and so that's kind of that, that's part of the jumping off point and it's me then kind of analysing uh, you know existence whatever with some very stupid but, jokes uh, as well I, I love that, that aspect of your, of your stuff because you know a lot of people, you know, the punchline of comedy is just is, is just a punchline. You know, it's, it's mm. there to make people laugh and send them back into the night somehow cheered up. And and you do tackle huge issues. I mean, I saw your uh, Nine Lessons and Carols uh, show, which right, I guess it was last Christmas actually, mm. uh, the, at the house with Apollo. You know, and um, Richard Dawkins and uh, and Brian Cox. And um, can I just know, say by the way, I'm not an apostle or disciple of Richard Dawkins. Whatever that letter writer to Word magazine said, something. <laughs> oh, was it? That's true. Well, oh, yeah. You've revealed yourself as a, as a keen reader of words. <laughs> Thank you very much. Where's the hate that? about me? It drives me on so much. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Check the letters page of Word Magazine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Fresh material for end of a show. Check Word Magazine. Yeah. But I, I do love that whole thing of the fact that you can stand up, you can start to talk about ideas. And, it, and it's George Carlin, the you know, fabulous uh, US comic, he, he, he used to talk, he would say that, that comedy is a very low art form, but it's a very potent yeah. art form. And I, I think that if you've made, I was talking to the, the uh, San Franciscan comic Scott Capura a while back, and um, just saying sometimes you just got to stick to your guns, and maybe the show, perhaps there aren't enough jokes, and perhaps you, perhaps sometimes you look at the audience and think, is this really what they want? But he went, yeah, we're reasonably clever people, we could have done much easier jobs for a lot more money. Yeah. If you've made the stupid decision of showing off to groups of people every night of the week, then you might as well do what you want. You might as well bring the big want. names into it as well. Yeah, it just... Yeah. But I thought it was very, I thought it, it seemed significant, uh, uh, you know, in helping that whole idea, which we're all very aware of now, for the Brian Cox programmes particularly, of, of, of making, you know, uh, the conventionally rather worthy and difficult subject of science quite popular and just loosening it up and, and using the idea of science as, uh, um, mm. as, as, a, as a, a, against religion, really. I mean, there's a very strong atheistic theme, in fact, wasn't there? Well, it's interesting, yeah, because I th- I didn't necessarily notice it so much, but there probably is underneath it all. But I I think we've tried to cut that down a little bit, which is to celebrate... I mean, ultimately, in terms of fundamentalist religion, the moment you start talking about rationalism and science, then there is going to be that conflict. As someone said, you know, yeah. why aren't there as many campaigners uh, against the Big Bang as there are against the theory of evolution? You don't have a similar, you know, kind of mm. creationist movement for, for physics, probably because physics is just too darn difficult yeah. uh, to, to bother making a <laughs> placard a about... I've spelt Neil's ball wrong. Give me another placard. So I think... I I, I like. I mean, I'm doing the Greenbelt Christian Festival, which is uh, in between Leeds and Reading, so that's an interesting weekend. Uh, and but how are they billing you at that? Because I mean, obviously, the the the, the gist of the Christmas show for godless people was to point up the. Uh, 
of the existence of, of the fact that science disproves a lot of the, well, of the uh, creationist theories. Possibly, but I think also, what I, the main reason I started doing the shows was I did a show, a TV show, some regional thing, you know, London debating or something with Nick Ferrari and other, uh, you know, wise men and women. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, Stephen Green was on from Christian Voice, and he kept going on and saying you want to ban Christmas you want to ban Christmas and I kept saying no I don't I said I'm very happy with Christmas I think it's a great celebration whether you've got religion or you haven't I'm not trying to ban Christmas and I was so cross at the fact that, he, that I thought well I'm going to show because there's always that thing atheists they're all grumpy right? <laughs> and uh, I might be a grumpy atheist but it's not because I'm an atheist it's just because I'm grumpy, you know? but, they, um, grumpy yeah. but uh, I wanted I thought why not put on a really big celebratory show for people who haven't got religion so maybe they can't go to the church or they, not that they can't but they, you know, they, they, they feel that Don't if feel they're they atheist or agnostic yeah. whatever mm. so I thought let's put on a really big celebratory show let's get an orchestra and let's get some brilliant musicians you know we've, in the past we've had people like Jarvis Cocker obviously we've had Robin Hitchcock Luke Haynes and let's get comedians like Dara Brin and, and science, scientists like Ben Goldacre and Simon Singh and Brian Cox just do this this celebration around Christmas which is going non the universe kind of it's yeah. enormous yeah. look what the Hubble telescope's taken a picture of that's the closest we're ever going to see to what the Big Bang looked like you know all of these things just to remind people that science isn't this this dull thing of, of to kind know, of get, which, the, get the awe back which is yeah. what people always used to associate with Christmas wasn't it it is and actually there's a brilliant bit of the show which I was telling you about where Brian Cox uh, shows a picture from the Hubble telescope and then magnifies it mm. again and again and again yeah. and again and it's this I I think he described it as a piece of the sky, the equivalent of, of holding uh, a five-penny bit uh, away from yourself mm. about, I can't remember now, about 70 feet away or something. Yeah. Like. And, and within that, he was then telling you how many, am I off the mic? You know, oh, like, how many constellations? <laughs> Good, I'm off the mic. <laughs> Good news, Marco, <laughs> can't be heard. <laughs> um, so yeah. what, what's your audience going to be like at this Christian festival? Have you actually done that kind of thing before? No, I mean, I've, I, I, I mean, interestingly, I, 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 my audience, when I'm kind of uh, touring and stuff, I often get religious people there. They're kind of, you know, liberally uh, religious. And mm. um, and I always used to say, I mean, I, I, I try to be as careful as possible. Though I've done stuff attacking fundamentalists, I'd always say that I don't have a problem with religion until it becomes an alibi for someone's bigotry. And that's, I wanted to make sure that, uh, and I will do this at the Greenbelt Festival, I'm not going, ha, ah, you're all idiots. You believe in a mythical man with You've been called. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, everyone needs a coping mechanism. Uh, yeah. And so, so I, I think it will be... I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And I think, if anything, the, the organisers might be disappointed. I think I'm involved in some debates. And the likelihood is me going, yeah, no, that's fine, yeah. Fair point. <laughs> well, can't you be a bit angrier than that? No, until you actually bring forth the fundamentalist lunatics. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have any religious belief, and I don't, I don't find it preposterous. I do understand why people have it, but I would... I, I don't know, does it make the world better or not if you don't believe in... There's an interesting... I saw this guy... Um, oh, I'm going to forget his name. I, I was at the uh, the Atheist Conference in Copenhagen, obviously. And, <laughs> That's uh, what it is. And there was this great lecture uh, by Gregory Paul, that's his name, and just as a hobby, he's mainly a paleontologist, but he got so <laughs> bored of people saying, oh, well, without religion there's no morality, that he did this fantastic breakdown of uh, the states of, uh, of the USA uh, in terms of religious zeal versus things like the homicide rate. Yeah. So the greater the church going, the greater the contribution to the, the church, the crime, yeah. higher the homicide, the higher the divorce rate, and my favourite fact was the higher the rate of herpes. <laughs> and 
And I just thought that, again, that's not an attack on religion, but it is an attack on people who go, oh, how can you have morality if you're not an atheist? The awful thing is these are probably the the blue and red states, aren't they? Would Mm. would, would it be terrible to suggest that there's some political (laughs) concerns this too? I don't know. Wow. That's fascinating. But the... the, um, Is that your your, uh, interest in Darwin? Is that that sort of stem from that? Darwin, obviously, debunking uh, particularly Victorian's kind of uh, belief in in the, the biblical religion. Because you did a show, didn't you? So I was celebrating, mm. I think, the, the, the 150th um, yeah. anniversary of the, of the publication of The Origin of Species. So uh, presumably that was something connected to that. Yeah, and I do, I mean, I do, I love Charles Darwin. I, th- I think it, it's such a great story. It's such a beautiful story. I mean, he was a very, he was a very shy man who, who came up with this, what was an, an incredibly disturbing um, theory for a lot of people. And, uh, but at the same time, there is a bit of a lie that where, where people kind of go, oh, and everyone was up in arms. It took years for it to be embraced. Actually, it was one of the theory was so beautifully put together mm. in On the Origin of Species that, as, as Thomas Huxley said, I'm going to misquote this, but he basically said, how stupid of me not to think that, to have thought it's that already. Right, yeah. Right, you know? yeah. and, and so there he was. He didn't want to get involved, embroiled in these battles. Yeah. And he would stand outside the church when his, his religiously fervent you know, wife would, would go in there. And you know, all these incredible things that happened in his life, you know, the, the loss of uh, well, more than one child, mm. but in particular, is, is, is so the force of it hit him straight away as soon as it was out. Then mm. the, the the ideas. And it's just a, and it's such a beautiful. This is what this is part of the thing that drives me on. Actually, is and in Edinburgh as well. The third show I do is I do a lunchtime show about science where we talk about Carl Sagan and Richard Feynman and and all these magnificent communicators of ideas. Um, when you start to read, as, as you know, Darwin famously said, you know, there's grandeur in this view of life. And the, when you start to think of how much better than just having been made. Just plop, there you go, yeah, being made. Yeah. This amazing process from the time that the earth cooled and then suddenly you, you the just time, get... The point that we crawled out of the sea and yeah. lost our tails. Surely that's more yeah. mysterious. There's a great book called um, You're in a Fish, which is looking <laughs> at all this kind of matching up. You know, again, as you take go each step back in, in evolutionary biology and what you see the process. Mm. And it's Neil, I forget the name, Neil, is it Neil Shulby and something like that. But um, And so that, that's one of the things that drives me on as well, is I just think... It, I have that thing that when I was younger, and I'm sure we, you know, we've all done this. Uh, actually, we're all of an age where we would have used cassettes as well. Yeah. Which is when you first start a relationship, you give people Make a, a compilation. You go, yeah. you must like these bands. These bands are magnificent. And for me, when I'm reading books, and I just love reading books, and I love finding new ideas. Is I go, oh, I've got to share this. I want everyone to I read bet this book. Like, oh, want... Great, I've got to read Schopenhauer. Now. Yeah, <laughs> oh, well, Schopenhauer is what? A... He's such a he's such a witty and, and dark. I mean, I love... Schopenhauer is great to read. Yeah, and I, I like finding out when when. Someone writes to me, uh, you know, on Facebook or whatever, and they say, you know, oh, who was that you were reading out from? And I go, oh, it's Richard Feynman. And I find, and then they'll write to me and go, just read the first Richard Feynman book. It was brilliant. <laughs> and just thinking that you can, because I, I can never be. I don't have a level of intelligence, which means I can never write anything anywhere near that magnificence. But at least by being the idiot who goes, this is very good, uh, you should read this, and I, I it expands your more. idea. I'd like to think our magazine subscribe. <laughs> but, uh, but knowing that you were coming into that, I borrowed my wife's, I noticed, completely unread copy of <laughs> The Origin of Species. I mean, that's why she that's just why she ran me Don't, don't, don't. She said, I wanted to read The Origin of Species and stuff, and I can't find it anywhere. There's just a lovely little bit where it's, uh, you know, it is quite a dry book, but obviously it's immensely exciting, the theories he's putting across, you know. And uh, there's a bit where he um, tr- uh, reads a bit out to his children. And he says, uh, uh, on his account of the larval cirripede, he describes us with six pairs of beautifully constructed notatory legs, a pair of magnificent compound eyes, and extremely complex antennae. And uh, his children said this sounded like an advertisement, which is an incredible <laughs> thing to say in 1859, yeah. an advertisement. The word. 
a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. There was this exhibition um, at Buckingham Palace a while ago about um, sort of early naturalist drawings from maybe sort of 1650 to 1800. And this guy had gone over to the Amazon and he'd found a sloth, but it was dead. And he'd logically thought that it should have been upright, walking along like a dog. So he'd drawn this thing that obviously had didn't have any proper musculature at all, and sort of a really bendy spine, but it was sort of and just on the top great, of a branch. Big, well, just sort of walking along, the great, the great big <laughs> yeah, curve and these floppy legs, and it's just like that. It, it was an obvious thing to do with a sloth if you found one, but he didn't know it just had to hang there because it was too floppy. It's the, oh, lovely, it's the power of great yeah. enthusiasm. It's Steve Jones in his in his lovely book. Uh, is it almost like a whale? The uh, Steve Jones, um, the the who's written basically reworked lot of Darwin's books but he had the fantastic facts that he puts in all his books and one of my favourites was a sloth was given to Philadelphia Zoo in I think it was 1873 and it died within five days from being prodded by umbrellas and oh. I just think that is I used to have quite a few oh, sloth facts so I was trying to think there was I know sloth, sloth, sloth babies <laughs> With Robin frequently fall out of a tree because they accidentally hug themselves rather than the branch God. Um, and there's something involving uh, in the event of a nuclear war I believe it might be both cockroaches and possibly the sloth would survive. Yeah, so that's why would the sloth survive? Because it's I think heartbeat is so ludicrously low. But you'd imagine as well that they're a bit like pandas and that they'd be ex- well, they'd be on the way to extinction because they're too lazy to mate. <laughs> because they just they sleep just all the time. But isn't it crazy? They must just watch television and yeah. take away food. You know, <laughs> but the animals that don't have to develop that much. Like you were saying, there's a lovely thing in Life on Earth, you know, obviously the brilliant David Attenborough series, where I think it's on that, where they have a tree kangaroo, and it's rubbish at climbing. It's terrible. <laughs> it's so clumsy. It's, a, it's the three it's going, stooges of the, the mammal. tree kangaroo. I'm really <laughs> going to have to make an effort here. But it doesn't have to get any better, because again, it doesn't have anything to battle against. So therefore, it will always remain until something else perhaps gets introduced. Something it, it competitive. Even, it doesn't have to Just get any better. Just being a bit crap at its Just, job, oh, but right at the top. Just again. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> Like a lot of industries. (laughs) I wanted to talk about this great piece that we ran in in the edition of Word. Which one was it? This is the one with... uh, July. July, July, number 89. Which was a lovely piece by Sarah Dempster about your Bad Books uh, Club. Explain, here here it is, with the pictures of uh, Night of the Crabs. Did spacemen colonise the Earth? Oh, one of my Uh, favourites. Sex is not compulsory. So I want to know what a couple of these are about. Like what? Well, explain, explain where the idea came from. The, the, well, your, your, your bad books club. It, it started when uh, it must have been about oh, I don't know if it was eight or ten years ago. Where uh, I was in a bookshop and I found a book called The Stag Movie Review, which is a really bizarre book where stag movies were basically one real films that groups of men would hire out or buy, and they were just sex films. They were very simply made. You know, two men, one woman, five women, two. At one point, there's a <laughs> woman. Made. There's one called Beauty in the Boxer, which is uh, just... But, just a simple equation. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, you always have to get to the maths of the porn to truly understand it. And, um, it's, uh, and this guy had written a book where he would write eight pages of what the plot was. Now, this is a 20-minute film of people having sex. So it would, I just opened it, and I think the first line I saw was something like... Is a he man trying is, to intellectualise it, to, to, to justify I, your watching? I think it's almost like a catalogue. Yeah. It's basic, and so it's got. There's no ISBN making it technically illegal, and uh, it and it would get, so it would say, you know, two men are sitting on a sofa. They are wearing slacks and pressed white shirts. The younger man has a small moustache. The other man is or clean stage shaven. Directions almost, isn't yeah, it? It's it's just, yeah, it's literally everything that he 
saw, he then copied out. Yeah. And then after eight pages of describing a 20-minute film with some people having sex, he then gives it a critique. And there's this great critique which goes... Uh, but he doesn't describe the, the sex, though. But oh, he describes everything about it, but of course he also runs rather... out of words. Yes. So for a while there's a sword in a cave, and then eventually he just writes anything so that's it's all kind euf- of... So he tries to do euphemisms instead of just... Well, no, it, it, the point is that I think after a while he thought, I can't keep using just the technical... Because <laughs> he does, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of kind of... I mean, one of my favourite lines, and I, I apologise... Also, he's got a thesaurus with him, probably. He's, he's feeling adventurous, you know? Well, Come Clean, which is the first synopsis I've read, um, has this incredible one which... Uh, uh, see if I can remember this. Uh, um, her, her labia are well-defined, not flappy, like many girls of her stature. And that is... So, obviously, I, I had to buy this book, and I, I was doing a movie night at that point in uh, the Prince Charles Cinema in London, and I would just read out from this book. And then, a couple of years later, I found another... Uh, it was Sid Little's uh, autobiography, Little Goes a Long Way. And, uh, <laughs> and it fitted little by little, of course, little was the, little, uh, yeah. the remake of that book. Do not buy that. That had a ghostwriter helping him out, and therefore he's not as good. Um, <laughs> and he let himself down. He really did. Yeah. Everything is neatened. And it, what's great about uh, Little Goes a Long Way is you really get the sense that he wrote that, it. That's classic mm. Sid, isn't it? You yeah. just, 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 just stretching out, you know... Because you were saying a lot of these books are not actually bad books. They're they're interesting. They're sort of strangely well written. There's this. I think you mm. said to us that there was like there was something about they have a sense of honey and potential. In oh them yeah, or something. it's lovely. It's quite a nice quote. Yeah. Instead of just being sort of vacuous. Um, no, I thought that was really trashy novels. Because you know? it's easy to think that that in principle on paper that Robin Inch is going to come along here and just somehow pour scorn on these. Uh, on these noble on sort of kitsch, efforts yeah, kitsch and these fiction. kitsch things, and, and it's it's clearly not to the lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. Yeah. But I thought it was very it sweet. Stormy Vigil by which is a lighthouse based Mills and Boone. Oh, um, I was going to ask you about Mills and Boone's because they're but, amazing. Oh, go on. No, no, I was just going to say um, if there were any among your bad books, but I was used to my brother and I used to sort of always you try and write them. them you? Yeah, when we were about thirteen and fifteen, we would because they were so formulaic. We had this character it was a, it set on a ship among a, between a ship's doctor and a nurse. And the, uh, the nurse was called Merlin Forrest Steele. Um, <laughs> and all the women in these books were about, about 30 and they've never had a boyfriend, mm. basically. That was what we were always fascinated by. And the men always wore things like chartreuse coloured slacks, things like that. And it was described as though they were handsome, they obviously weren't. And you tried to write these books yourself? Uh, we, we used to start them and then get bored and start another one, but yeah, we never, we never got beyond the first page. <laughs> the first page is the, the exciting one, though, isn't it? Which sets up that this is a forthright woman, she's a strong woman. Yeah. She's a woman of real yeah. character, but somehow something hasn't worked <laughs> somehow out. She's At never which had a point boyfriend. she will move to the jungle, the countryside, <laughs> yes. or the outback, and discover these kind of men are very different to the nice urban men she Yes. She was not going to get on with them at all. Uh, <laughs> and it's going to be a learning experience, isn't it? And she may come back a stronger person and yeah. wiser. And the yeah. end of uh, the final chapter is, will you marry me, he said, as his teeth glinted in the sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> it was a sunset. <laughs> George Ed has, it was a sunset, I know. As okay. the lambing blood was still drying on his fingers, he turned to her, holding an engagement ring, uh, dampened by spleen. And that's one of the reasons that I've never written them. But I, I love, the, there is, I mean, I think there's probably a couple of chapters where I might, I, I, I'm a little bit uh, rude about, I think, journalists like Little John's books and, and people mm. like that. Uh, but overall, I, I got very worried when I was writing the book that I didn't want it to be a snide book. 
I, I want it to be to go. These are uh, they're fascinating, and they also the, where you see that uh, reading Guy and Smith, Guy and Smith who wrote the, the Killer Crabs books, which I, I talk about and occasionally do a musical with Robin Hitchcock. I know, I thing. know. Well, what, what, uh, is, what is the fascination with crabs? Because well, there's a high crustacean count actually isn't there, among, among these. Uh, well, Robin characters. Hitchcock, he remembers the lines. I mean, I was reading from the book as the saw player was playing behind me, and someone was on a swanny whistle, and, <laughs> uh, and Robin suddenly just this took was over. the Latitude show. Yeah, yeah, at, yeah. At Latitude Festival, it was burnt into his mind. He still remembered everything. Thing that as they slowly vomited in the long grass <laughs> along the way from the debris of the crab. That's an extraordinary good impersonation of Robin Hitchcock. But it was a uh, touch of peel. His, uh, everyone eventually gets yeah, yeah, back to peel. But uh, Guy Smith, actually, the lovely thing is he's written me a letter uh, since the book came out basically saying thank you very much because mm. uh, he realises that it is a joke and that I am talking about them uh, in a celebratory way. And his website now, I think, is getting a lot of action. I bet uh, it is, yeah, because you want to know who these people are as well, don't you, who wrote the, some of the strange. And I was wondering about one in particular, a Christian polemic called um, What God Does When Women Pray. Oh, what is yeah. that about? Like, what, what does it's God a do right when women pray? It's, it's a really. It's basically making sure that by forming prayer chains and telephone prayer chains, you will make sure that the Republicans remain in power in the United States of America and do not allow uh, those evil people who create rock music and other such uh, detritus to destroy the minds of children uh, are kept well away from the And this is the, the women reins. of the world that will do this? Yes. Well, because the men are very busy. <laughs> and uh, so the women have got to, you know, they've got to pick up a bit of the slack. And it has, I mean, the bit that I, I, I think I talk about in the book, which, which amazed me, is where there is a woman who is worried about how she can get her husband who's not a believer to believe in Christianity and then she has this bit where she goes and then fortunately God gave me a gift which helped her and the gift that she is given is a cancerous tumour and God, of course no. she realises how God was working he was saying you're going to be on death's ways. door and yeah the most mysterious way is surely oh, yes. to the tumour and and that brought her husband over to Christ so she that's realizes a that's... low trick and then there's another one where I think it's the author goes and she'd been praying very hard thinking that the uh, the, the kidney stone uh, the operation would be agonizing Fortunately, after the prayer, it was passed by me without an operation. <laughs> so it's filled with kind of also a selfish thing, which yeah. is, you know, I was in this situation, it looked like it was going to be troublesome, but I prayed to God and he got me out of it. And he helped me a lot out. A of other yeah. people died. Yes, because <laughs> they weren't as righteous as me and as deserving. <laughs> God, very chilling indeed. What I think we ought to do, actually, at this junction, is to have a slice of cake. Yes. And to, um, we put up on, uh, Fraser put up on, the, on, on our Twitter site, and, and side, uh, the, the request for questions. I did. For Robin Hitz, and we've got some. Moss, do you want to do the Shall other? I cut? Cut a slice of this. Why does he worship Richard Dawkins? I don't worship Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins, what was that gag? That something about how Richard Dawkins and um, Mark Steele at your show, I think it said, it, it, somebody had written to him about how uh, they'd seen someone wearing a, a Richard Dawkins' God t shirt. Oh, no, it was me, and, I was talking oh, about it. Oh, it was you, yeah, it was you, and then Dawkins had gone, that means I don't exist. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely brilliant gag. It was the first ever show we did where Dawkins was slightly nervous beforehand because oh, that's it's right. obviously for a scientist to go on with comedians and musicians, it is. But one of the lovely things about him because I know that everyone does just think that he's this kind of you know awful table banging there is no god and yeah. the books of course his science books are very beautifully written but uh, it's nice to, like, he is still fascinated by things so when he's in the green room and you've got this fantastic collection of people sometimes you've got Alan Moore there you know the, the, the comic writer and you've incredible got incredible combination Dawkins yeah. and Ben Goldacre and, and, and all you know Darren Heyman and it's, and it's great thank you very much mm-hmm. and um and he's always Dawkins got questions so there was someone I can't remember what instrument they had it was something like a cor anglais and, 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 and he just went I've always been interested so how does that actually work and he's there with just a young musician and he's just going 
Oh, so he still has. He is the questioning faculty. Yeah, Brian Cox. I can't remember. He had he had something he didn't understand. It wasn't about dark matter, but it was something like that. He went. I'm still pondering about that. And I said, Go and ask Brian. So he went. You know, he doesn't have. Yeah, the arrogance of going. No, I'm embarrassed uh, exactly. to ask this question. Yeah, and I love. And fact I know that everything. I think yes. I told you about it before. Where we had uh, the backdrop, which was done by uh, Martin Rosen, the the um, cartoonist, was the image of creation with God and uh, the the finger of Adam meeting. But of course, Dawkins was Adam, and he was flicking the V's. Um, <laughs> Dawkins really saw it. Very very funny. And uh, and he was he was vaguely a on a huge scale. The penis wasn't very big because <laughs> was that what Martin Rosen had, had basically taken the original, and the only real change that he'd made as he'd done it was was putting Dawkins' head, you know, doing that, and so the rest of it he'd kept reasonably specific. And he was going, well, "That's a little bit much, isn't it? I mean, it looks very." Uh, and I was going, "But Richard, it's not it's the same, it's not same your size penis. Size. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not your. It's it's the penis that was used in this. I know." But, and when he went on, it's he had the to comment penis. on that. <laughs> isn't that great? That he <laughs> like, <laughs> here we lord this great scientist, but even great scientists in their sixties still go, mm. "Well, they could have given me a big." How's the cake? It's we're, amazing. We're all try trying. Try to try You've got to say. We're eating. This is the first. It's a podcast first, surely, Fraser. We're Perfect mixture between live. I'm going to use the word moist already. It's moist. It's tart and it's sweet. Mm. Also, to have used oh crushed God. raspberries mm. rather than jam. Mm. Crushed. Is, yeah. Oh, it's sensational. This is probably the last proper meal I'll have. This slice <laughs> of cake before the end of the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> What will you eat in Edinburgh, do you reckon? Neeps. I used to find I would get Neeps. so nervous. <laughs> I could only eat thin soup for the first couple of weeks. Really? I would just be in such a constant, you know, all the, all the kind of nerves and adrenaline. Yeah. I would find the very idea of it, you know, when you, you've ever yeah. had that moment where you eat a solid and you can still feel every sharp corner you can hardly in your swallow stomach. It, yeah. And then I'd always know that by the end of kind of two weeks, I'd go, I might risk something now which has some sense of structure. Mm. No. <laughs> but now, now I don't get. Now I just Is don't it eat. True because... the, the folklore about. Uh, I remember Frank Skinner giving a fantastic interview. I think in our magazine actually, five six years ago, talking about this kind of rite of, of passage that all comedians who went to to Edinburgh originally all had to live in some horrendous kind of tenement. There's always about seven of them and only one bed and, and all the. <laughs> you know, there's, I think he lived in a place where where the shelves fell down during the day. And blocked the door, and someone was still inside. It might be David Baddiel, I think, who couldn't get out. And somehow <laughs> locked inside because the shelf had fallen across Shame. the door. It's an absolutely fantastic idea. But, I mean, did, did you ever live in some awful cold water? Tunnel oh, I've been in some rubbish. Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, it's, part of the, it's part of the deal, isn't it? it it's interesting. Things that are squats for eleven months of the year somehow <laughs> suddenly become worth a thousand pounds a month. So I've stayed in places where there were six of us all. I mean, one year before I was a, a, um, a comedian, I was up there when I was about nineteen, twenty years old, working as a technician for Eddie. Gizzard and uh, Johnny Material, who is, is no longer... I think he's now a children's book writer. Great fantastic. Um, and uh, uh, who else? Oh, we know, Neil. And we did just stay in this... Re- you know, everything smelt of, of the damp pelt of a recently died dog. You know, it was just <laughs> everything was... And uh, But it was quite a joyous thing. And Eddie Izzard had only just recently... I mean, he wasn't famous then. He was playing a small room in the Greyfriars Kirk. Poor Greyfriars Kirk has, as far as I knew, mm. was for the rest of the year a tramp's hostel. But yeah. for that one month, it's like, you've got to get out. We've got some people who need to do Brett. But where are we going to stay? You know, just a very, very cruel thing to have done. Um, That's brilliant. But now I do try and have some level of civilization because I think it's that amazing thing that people spend all this money going up there and then skimp on the... You go, you're already losing possibly £18,000. That's true, yeah. Try and live a reasonable life. 
And I, I, I mean, now I don't get because I just, you know, got a bucket that I'm holding at the end, you know, hoping <laughs> to make enough money to have some form of meal or other. Um, and I, but so you I possibly lose only seven, seventeen thousand or whatever. <laughs> well, that is the amazing thing where the cost of doing it. When I started, when I did the free fringe last year, in two weeks, I think I made more money than any other comedian I knew wow. playing a room that was maybe four times as big. And uh, with and with the audience paying between fifteen and eighteen pounds to go and see them, mm, mm. because I have I don't have any overhead. I didn't yeah. do it to make money, but at the end of it, I went because I only I basically I just want to do it because I like doing shows. So you could just do it on the street and it would be effectively busking. And then yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, no, ah, once you get into buskers' territory, that's a whole because then you have set to, of rules. you have overheads again. Probably, oh, but also buskers. yeah, the buskers are they, there's a lot of antagonism that goes on there. Yeah, yeah. Once they have control of fire, you know, you've got to be very <laughs> wary of those kind of people. Um, but it, it is it's it's a real and what it's lovely about these kind of things is I was talking about this with with Stuart Lee a while back where um, the fact that uh, th- we were walking around Edinburgh about four years ago during the festival um, going where have the middle-aged couples in the cagoules with the walking sticks and the oh. heavily annotated fringe brochures yep. <laughs> the fringe brochure with, with the things highlighted yeah and, and all and of that walking at a done. cracking pace between little yellow yeah. tags that they yeah. put in their little sellotape thing. where have they gone and they'd gone because they couldn't afford to do it anymore a lot of them don't have high-paid jobs but they love the arts mm. and they want to see it yeah. as much as possible and what, it, what was beautiful last year was these people had come back and there were people coming up to me and chatting to me, Love, lovely couples from kind of, you know, Darlington and, and Truro and Sunderland and wherever else, and, mm. um, and saying what a great thing it is that they can come back. And so also you're playing to an audience that are very happy that you have gone, I'll oh, tell with the making, you know, the possibility of making a lot of cash. Yeah. Let's return to the idea of it's a fringe. Yeah. And so you meet brilliant people. Who... So how many of these free shows are there? How many venues are doing that? Do you know, I don't know how. It's, it's run by a man called Peter Butley Hill. And uh, I mean, I mean, there must be at least 20 different rooms. Mm. And they've got shows from midday onwards. And some of them are... I mean, the thing that's nice about it now as well, I think a few years ago, if someone saw one free show and it was rubbish, they would then go, well, obviously all the free all shows the free are rubbish. Are crap, yeah. But there are lots of... Uh, Andrew Collins, in fact, I He's believe a journalist parish. for. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and Andrew is doing a, is. a free show, Secret mm. Dancing, uh, yeah. and, and which I think is great. And I, I tried to encourage more people last year. I went, do you know what? You also make money. But unfortunately, people go, but what will they think? <laughs> and that's what you get caught up in, that people go up there and they imagine that at some point... It's so, but it's exactly the same mm. as in rock, rock music. You know, you, you play the arena circuit and then you, you, you're seen playing sort of, um, you know, intimate venues. Mm. You're, <laughs> you're trying to pass off as being a way of reconnecting with the audience and, and people think you're on the slide, but that's yeah. not necessarily the case. Yeah. People really want to do it, you know. They really want the, the experience of actually being face-to-face with an audience, you know. No, I think it's a really joyous uh, a thing where you can just... Uh, the, the risk, of course, is you might get someone who hates you, who wouldn't pay £15 to come and see you, but because <laughs> but we'll you're free... But we'll stand free in the front row and throw Victoria Sponge <laughs> or whatever, which is delicious. If it's of this quality of Victoria Sponge, <laughs> I shall take questions. the lobs cakes. This is the question. This is the kind of high level of... Um, of uh, inquisition you get from a word reader. This is Nomad Jim, who says, which rhyme of your surname do you prefer? Mince, quince, since, or wince? Now... <laughs> it's hard hitting stuff. Again, um, well, Stuart Lee normally goes with mince. Oh, Robin Mince. Uh, <laughs> very few people do quince. I think because of the film Quince Tree Sun, uh, which All was right. far too long. And that put people <laughs> off the idea yeah. of quince altogether. Um, uh, since, I think, 
I, I would actually like Quince. I like because Quince. Mm. It Quince sounds a bit medieval. It's medieval. It's because it sounds yeah. like what's that? What's that? It, it, it feels like it fits with Malmsey, doesn't it? Quince yeah. and Malmsey. Yeah, what yeah, a yeah. banquet that would be. Yeah, a vat of wine you and a died in a vat of Malmsey. Wasn't it Clarence? Clarence. It was. Yeah, brother of Richard III. That's absolutely right. Drowned, drowned upside down in a vat. But and I believe in in the magnificent theatre of blood with Vincent Price. Who is it? Who is drowned? I think it's Harry. Not Harry. Is it no? Harry Andrews is has his now he has a heart cut out. It's. <laughs> Someone like Roger Livesey. You, you've seen Theatre of Blood, haven't you? No, 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 no. Yeah, it's Vincent the... Price, Ed, Edwin Lionheart. Uh, I think it's Edwin, uh, who's a Shakespearean actor who doesn't get the Critics Circle Award, so kills himself, mm. and then slowly the critics are killed. It's one based by on Macbeth, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael Horden is killed in the style of Julius Caesar. Come on, everyone, get out of here! What are you doing? This is the building site. Bingo. And then there's a great a bit where Vincent Price does this lovely bit where he does King Lear. He goes, "Oh, you are." Amazing. Of stone, if I had your <laughs> eyes and ears, and it's just really. God, uh, I remember that voice. He didn't have it for pickled onions once. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> the first crisp vegetables to bite back. <laughs> <laughs> I love Vincent Price. He's one so of those. When he died in Edward Scissorhands, that bit just you know, there's certain actors. It's like when you see Sean Connery die in The Untouchables, and you go, yeah. Sean Connery? <laughs> no, don't let this happen. And, and Who allowed this to happen? <laughs> have you read it? This is look. DP James one two three says, Have you read any bad novels by rock stars? I, I assume that he thought we were going to talk about bad novels, which we were mm. by um, rock stars. I don't do know. you know what? I I haven't. Um, and I should. Uh, there was a Brian Viner actually from the Independent said uh, that he felt that I'd, I'd missed out on having no sporting autobiographies as well. He said yeah. they're very good, and I do know that yeah. there should probably been a chapter on that. But I haven't read any bad. I mean, I've, I've read the nearest I've come, which is a very great thing. Is I read Luke Haynes's Bad Vibes. Which oh yeah, is, that's uh, What a read that is. Oh, yeah. That's oh obviously not a novel. Oh, that's a good. Um, which I is a... did find. What's you, his name? You've um, not, you obviously not read uh, Lord Iffy Boat Race by Bruce Dickinson. Oh, no. uh, I should have brought you a copy. I never trust any book which has... Which, unfortunately, would include things like Blot on the Landscape, which obviously is a, a good book, which I never really trusted books with very funny cartoons on the front. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy! Yeah. It, it, it is the <laughs> I'm mad me equivalent. <laughs> Penguin, you know... Oh, watch out! Oh, it's in here! Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> but there was... Who was the, I, I did read that... Very, was it called Bad Wisdom by... Um, uh, uh, the Zodiac Mind Warp is real name. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been and Mark Manning. That's Manning. it, Mark Manning mm, yeah. and uh, KLF. Um, um, Bill Drummond. Bill Drummond. Very odd, very dark book in which there's a lot of death and mutilation. Mm. Yeah, this was about 15 years ago, probably. And I should have been um, a novel of death and mutilation. The idiotic question. No, the real life of KLF. How's the As we burned the money, it rather right, went yes. to our heads. <laughs> <laughs> have you had a chance to look at that Brian Johnson book yet? He's just written a book on uh, oh, cars. Oh, the guy from ACDC. The guy from ACDC. Yeah. No, you're very <laughs> keen funny. on this. Yeah. What's it about? It oh, it's about cars. I mean, it's kind of weirdly. It was very well written. Surprising. I don't know why I thought it was surprising that it was well written, but it was. But now I've only opened it, so. That I thought classic. you might have had a look. But. Oh, that sounds good. Well, if anyone wants to treat me with advice on bad books, bad novels by rock stars... I'll yeah, love. that'd be a good idea. I've always loved those kind of... I do have a few books which are of bands that I've never even heard of. Like, Do you remember a band called Arrows? Oh, God, yes. yes. Well, yeah. not, oh, yeah. That must be just they because that was 73, incredibly good records. Really? In about 1973, I would Couldn't say. they do I Love Rock and Roll? Yeah, like they were a glitter band. Really? They had brilliant haircuts. They were all incredibly good looking and they made these very kind of cute little sort of glitter pop songs, but without the glitter, actually. But how did I miss them in time? Because obviously but I, I was too young at the time. I mean, the first the first bands that were kind of on my radar were probably things like Bass City Rollers, my sisters were into them, and that was when I was about five. Mm. But obviously I knew of Mark Bowler and things like that. Because Arrows, I just have a great book... Which which is, you know, when Arrows they still the exactly had the, the same time as T Rex. 
Oh, were the yeah, I yeah. must I must have a look into that now because but the books are great because they always lie about you know, his favourite drink is milk. He likes just going to bed <laughs> yeah. early, he likes collecting hammocks. And then yeah. of course twenty years down the line <laughs> you so find out they used to pervert. Yeah, they rip open their own skin just to rub heroin directly <laughs> into the, the gaping hole. That's not about arrows, by the way. The arrows <laughs> clear, but the... I know the reason you would, would have heard of arrows because they always turned up in those kind of teenage girl um, you know, pop uh, annuals. You know, they only had mm. one hit, I think, but they were constantly there, along with, uh, you know, the David Cassidy, Partridge Family and all those guys. They do have terrifying yeah. trousers. The cover yeah. of the book they <laughs> yeah, have... Yeah. They were in cartoons. Uh, there, was, there was the cartoon story of the story of Oh, Arrows. I love those cartoons. They were brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Were you in a band yourself? Was it called The, the, the Reg? No, originally yeah. called The Reg Guthridge Experience. Reg and then, then, then The Reg. Reg Guthridge being the box commentator. Um, I was brought in to spoil it for everyone. Uh, I was terrible. And, uh, I think your Wikipedia site says you were dismissed from the, for lack of talent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which that's I was very cruel. Or rather, I left because I'd become a stand-up and had no time. So uh, the, <laughs> the other, right. the other of the so. edgy members of the band. Oh, we're so edgy and grunge. Yeah, <laughs> they all work in the city now for banks. So uh, the uh, and I hope they're listening to this. <laughs> yes. But they were. Um, yeah, we used to, we did things like we did a cover of um, Adamant's uh, Dirk Wears uh, from Dirk Wears. Dirk Wears socks. Ne- Never trust a man with egg on his face. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one. Mm. And then. Um, and then we had songs about there was one which was about Dennis Nielsen but far from historically accurate it was called The Hornsy Axe Murderer as far as I know he never Cranley used Gardens an axe. and Muswell Hill I think. Uh, <laughs> and the, well Hornsy Muswell you know, we got, Sorry, the, uh, we've got a serial geogra- killer expert geographically here more accurate than it was historically accurate so it may well have been inaccurate on many levels so we used to do the um, what's that great the Roby George Roby pub which is yeah. opposite the uh, where the rainbow the thing Finsbury Park yeah, yeah and we used to play there quite regularly but I, I was reasonably rubbish and it what did you play? I didn't. I just sang badly. Oh, you sang! And now, occasionally, I still sing. When I, there's a so any self compositions? Uh, any self pen classic? Yeah, and I, <laughs> I, remember you know what? I always love people's titles. Of the song <laughs> no, my brain played a Stalinist trick on me and made sure that it was wiped from any memory that uh, <laughs> the appalling rhymes that uh, I might have come up with. God, I can't remember. I thought that was the title. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, my brain played a Stalinist trick on me by Lenin and the Leprous Babies. I have another a question from the Daily Bumbler. He says, "Do you agree with?" Stuart Lee's assessment that, quote, a home should be a home, not a monument to your victories over books. Ooh. Oh, this is from The Observer, I think. He did an article, didn't he, The um, uh, about having a load of um, all the rubbish that built up. Um, mm. Well, a home is a home for me if it is packed with books, because none of them are... I mean, I, do, I don't kind of have books and, 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 and treasure them in that way of I mustn't break the spine. Yeah. I, I believe, that, you know, each book I'll open and it's all full of scribbles everywhere and you yeah. know, little notes and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I think if they're merely books that you've got from the Folio Society and you have no... You know, <laughs> I, I will eventually get round to Chaucer. Uh, yeah. Then th- I, I would agree with him. But well, there's great things like in Ikea that are species. like a load of printed spines on a piece of wood that you can just put into your shelf. Yeah, oh, yeah. They, have that. <laughs> they have that at the back of the literary tent, I think. It's <laughs> <laughs> sort of rather a good idea. Really. God, come on, one more. Is there one more on here? Yeah. Does he ever get fed up with people asking about Ricky Gervais all the time? Ricky Gervais in a band. What was it, what was it called? Shona Dancing. Shona Dancing. Yeah. Fraser and Robin worked together at um, XFM, was it? Where were you? No. Robin mm. was a frequent visitor. That's right, mm. that's right, yeah. yeah. Shona Dancing. Did you ever see them? The Ricky Gervais no. band? Did you know him at that time? It's class? very annoying because... Years ago, he used to have some, some videotapes of some of the work that he'd done. And the last band he was in, whose name I forget, was um, at the Rock Garden. And I won't go into the details of the footage, but it was fantastic. And it's certainly something that would surprise his fans now. And I briefly put the tape in my bag and thought, I'm going to steal this. 
and copy it. And then I realised that if I did that, the revenge that he would have on me would be so terrible <laughs> because he is not someone to ever lose yeah. in that way. He is. I, I would wake up in a per- actually you know twenty five years that, later. That Spanish some... short film, I think it was. Do you remember where someone gets trapped in a in a phone box and then the phone <laughs> box is placed on the back of a lorry and then they're taken and they're just taken into a huge cave in the side of a mountain <laughs> where there are various people dying in phone boxes and skeletons. <laughs> that would have been my end if I'd gone. Ha! Look, the world is <laughs> yeah. the rock garden. And my revenge will be sweet and <laughs> Very slow. Sweet. And he would probably have hideous footage of you as well, in The Reg, or whatever it was. No, we, we, was we, there any? Is, we, we, is we it... were prescient enough never to film ourselves. Uh, somewhere I do have a very broken C90 cassette. of We, we did spend one evening uh, recording four tracks, and I, and I might one day... Uh, do something with that. I think we should reunite. I mean, there's a great thing called Karaoke Circus that I do where uh, Martin White and Daniel Ward, uh, who've written a musical in Edinburgh called Gutted, which should be very interesting, a revengeous musical. And they put together an orchestra and you get comedians singing uh, their favourite songs. And it's not as disastrous as you might think. Give us an example of a, of a comedian and what, what they've sung. Well... I've always done... The first one I ever did was Copacabana by Barry Manilow, because I thought everyone would presume that I would do How Soon Is Now by The Smiths, but it was only when I sang <laughs> Copacabana that I realised that even that is a, a song which ends hideously. Uh, the the, the lover is killed and the woman oh, is yes. left insane in a bar. <laughs> it's basically, it's almost... It's Barry Manilow's reworking of Todd Browning's Freaks. Um, right? I don't remember that. I can imagine that working with the, with the tune in a kind of sick way. In a kind sort of, of upbeat. horrible upbeat sing song Mills and Boone novel type absolutely well, it's, it's, it's Collins... Mills, Mills and Boone with a, with a, <laughs> with a twist. sticky air with a twist <laughs> a darker side of Mills and Boone <laughs> um, Uptown Top Ranking was Andrew Collins most recent uh, one he also he did Ting Tings before that my, my good work name is um, Chris Addison did a very good um, Pet Shop Boys uh, with a harp as well involved he didn't play that um, oh, so you get it, it's quite a, a variety and uh, Kevin Eldon and uh, Lisa Tarbuck did Ain't No Please you, the Chasm Day bit. And God, it is, I'd love to see it. It's, it, it's, it's the most nervous I ever see comedians. We're all going, mm. oh my God, I, I did Love Will Tear Us Apart at uh, the Bethnal Green Working Men's Club. And you just, the pressure <sighs> you feel. And then it's, uh, because it's so short, because we're used to standing on stage for an hour or whatever, where some of the adrenaline at least starts to drift away. Yeah. You've got uh, three, three minutes, minutes to three no minutes. Yeah, that knee exactly. is just going bang, 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 bang. <laughs> And afterwards, you're faced with, uh, again, the, the uh, enormously uncompetitive situation yeah. of lone comedians standing around a bar going, you are great, mate, <laughs> you're brilliant. Not you know what, brilliant it's lovely, you. actually. That, it genuinely does have that. I'm it sure it is does. all the yeah. noise. Because there are, I, I think there is a divide amongst comics. There are those who do go, oh, that guy's doing far too well. It's like, yeah. like someone recently asked me in an interview, they, were, they, they went, what do you think of Michael McIntyre? And I knew that there was a, a, a kind of a, a, a rabbit trap here. Yeah, yeah. And I basically went, well, it's not... I, I, he's, he's off doing his, his thing is tremendously successful Why I shouldn't be looking at his tail all the time mm. it doesn't matter I'm mm. never going to be playing O2 I'm never going to be appealing to half his audience you know it's, uh, it, mm. it is a different and, and sometimes in Edinburgh again you, you do get exactly what you're saying is there's a fury that that person's got four stars and you've got two stars and your show is definitely bad in fact he's doing a lot of hack material which I think is nicked from someone else's bin and if you can avoid that if you if you don't hang around with people who get that you actually yeah. have a far better time uh, across the whole year as a stand-up if you do hang around with just people you get on with and you love their work and you don't you know to what mm. again going back to Milton Jones to watch Milton Jones and Milton Jones to be quite honest is, is pretty much always going to go down better than me because he is just a great comedian and and 
And there's a joy. You just go, this is fantastic to watch. I'd hate it. Yeah. Sometimes you do get a little bit edgy going, he's going down so well. But that's <laughs> actually not because you're annoyed with them going down so well. It's your own personal fear there yeah. of how disastrous And also if it's completely different kind of stuff as well, then, they, then you can't really let yourself get too upset about it if they're yeah. different material. Well, I think we should let the viewers uh, decide for themselves how well Robert is, is going down. <laughs> Uh, and the answer will be extremely well at the Cannons Gate. Is that right? Can- From the Cannons 7th Gate to the 18th of August. What's the name of the show again? Uh, the uh, a mid-down doing one called uh, Carl Sagan is my God. Owen Richard Feynman too, and that'll be with people like Baba Brinkman and Chris Addison's coming down and various other Simon Singh. And then I do two o'clock. Uh, on the GRV I'll be doing pointless anger righteous ire be very shouty <laughs> uh, to be honest the uh, the swear count might be up there with 44 inch chest don't know if you've seen that film yet pretty good swearing oh nice um, uh, it, it, apparently top swearing who is he doing that again? Ian McShane, again playing a kind of slightly gay gangster like sexy Does beast. Does he have the highest yeah. uh, FPM, what it's called, fucks per minute? <laughs> oh no, I think it's got a much higher CPM. <laughs> uh, CPM or a different league. <laughs> but just, when Ian McShane at one point is just leaning against a stairwell thinking of men that he's found for, and he just sort of he goes, he goes, Bert Lancaster. Scrumptious. <laughs> great. Um, so yeah, I'm doing that, and then seven uh, fifteen in Cannons Gate, I return there and do my solo show. Going, here's some books I've read that I'm interested in. Oh, you've got to know about this. And so then this, always this... ending the same way. Oh, I didn't have time to tell you all the other things I wanted to talk about, which is my <laughs> accidental catchphrase. <laughs> Fantastic. So this three three shows a day thing runs for how long? Is it? A, a it's only it's for twelve days, and then I normally days. do a couple of extra shows in late on in the evening. I mean, in fact, I should mention we are going to do a Crabs musical, though Robin. Hitchcock I won't be able to the musical. we are doing on the 12th of August uh, with um, at the Eric Little Centre that's it uh, the, uh, named after the guy mm-hmm. who's from um, and at uh, the Eric Little Centre uh, we're going to be doing it's going to be Kevin Eldon Josie Long uh, me and, and, and a band and a tap dance we didn't have a tap dance for last year sensational no I realised I didn't want to say anything I, I thought it was a terrible omission but, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, the mind just wasn't enough it just wasn't the, uh, no no but because thank the, god the crabs, you sorted out the absence of tap dance well, because the, yeah. the crabs, when they attack, it always starts going click, click, oh, click, yes. click, yeah. click, click. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So I'm, I, that, that's a, and that's obviously that's not mentioned in the fringe brochure because it's a very late idea that I just went. Ah, got an evening off. Why not put on a great big cacophony of crab? <laughs> All that will be available, uh, viewers. So get along and see it. Thank you so much. Thank for coming you. Along. Thank Do you. have one more slice of Victoria sponge? It's very good. It's exceptional. It's hot work. This, <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk.